You're listening to the Mini Market Podcast presented by Tellum Sports. We're back. Episode six, the Mini Market Pod. Dalton here with Isaiah, Lucas, and Connor. Not a busy week for the uh, the Wild, but the Vikes, a little snub last night. Justin Jefferson losing a landslide rookie of the year vote. Lucas, our Vikings correspondent, what do you have to say about this? You know, I think uh, I do think Herbert deserves it. I mean, throwing 31 touchdowns to 10 interceptions is is pretty. It's a pretty impressive stat. I do. I am a little disappointed in the uh, the numbers of the voting um, with Herbert winning 41 of the 50 and Jefferson only getting nine. It is kind of a testament. You know, it is a QB league, so I, we shouldn't be super surprised. Um, but I think one thing to point out is, uh, you know, Jefferson did beat. Randy Moss's rookie receiving um, season, and he is also in a run-first offense. So even to be to put up the stats that he did is should just be you know pointed out that that was pretty impressive. Yeah, I can. The one thing I will say is there is uh, three hundred extra dollars in my bank account due to Justin Herbert this year. Shout out fantasy football. So I am a bit of a supporter of his just because of that. But I agree that. You know, some of the stuff that I was reading, it was surprising to see he's just kind of a middle. He was more of a middle of the road, middle of the road quarterback in the NFL. And and Justin Jefferson being like a pretty elite receiver. So you'd think that they would maybe show a little more favoritism towards somebody who's like breaking out at their position as opposed to just, you know, it's kind of like the MVP where pretty much every year you just give it to a quarterback. You know, there's not really much parity in in a lot of the uh, was it like group awards, if you will. What does a non-quarterback have to do to win the award? I mean, Justin Jefferson was an all-pro as a rookie. He broke a record that was 20 years old. What more can you do as a rookie receiver? Like, just call it the the rookie quarterback award. Exactly. Like, it, it's pretty ridiculous, in my opinion. You know who the last non-quarterback was? Adrian Peterson for the Minnesota Vikings back in 2012. That was a good, good little fun fact for you guys on a Monday morning. Yeah, baby. I uh, so I'm a duck. Quack. Uh, full disclosure. So Jay Herb's my guy. Um, <laughs> so I have no real problem with him winning it. But I will say absolutely, like I think this is. I'm with Lou on the the terms of like, it should. It's a quarterback league. Obviously, we probably knew whoever was going to win. Like it's not a surprise, but it hurts to see the votes go so poorly. Like it's just disappointing to see that like he didn't get any recognition, but it's, it's the NFL trying to prop up another, what they perceive as a face for their, for their league and a franchise that they think needs it. And, and here's another thing, like Justin Jefferson's electric. Like he's, he's so fun. Like the gritty, like the dance, what is the giddy? The, the gritty His dance, whatever it is, it was the gritty so makes me giddy. The, the yeah. gritty, like, yeah. You were, <laughs> I mean, Justin Herbert is like the most boring dude. No, like, no offense, like he's super, super boring. He does not do anything interesting. So, if you're looking for like to prop up a guy as a face for your league, Justin Jefferson has way more potential to be that guy. Like, he's so exciting. The way that he plays, he's so dynamic. And then he just like people love him. He's like easy to love. He's got that big smile. Like he he seems like he's having a good time. Like. It hurts to see it. It really does. Here's a dumb question. Who votes on this? Like, they just have a committee for the rookie of the year? Or is it like, you know, every award, there's a committee that votes on it? And how do you get on the committee? Because I... Are you trying to petition? Well, I, I mean, I might, but I just think... I'm just curious, like, what, who? where's the rationale coming? Is this like ex-coaches that are all voting on it? or? It's 50 members of the AP who cover the NFL that vote on the... Uh, AP offensive rookie and off and defensive rookie of the year awards. So it's just a bunch of media guys who regularly cover the league air quotes. So I don't, I don't know how you become one of those 50, how they choose those 50 out of their larger pool of NFL media members. They're just sheep, just NFL sheep going to slaughter. Would you guys rather have Justin Herbert or Trevor Lawrence? If you were a new NFL coach, because Justin Herbert's kind of proven that he can do it at the NFL level. Like, Trevor Lawrence, it's kind of assumed that he's going to be good, but he's not technically a known commodity. Honestly, I think I'm going to go with Herbert. Quack. He's not the, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence has been slated as the number one pick for like two years now. 
and he's just kind of riding high, expected to, you know, to be the best, be this great quarterback. And Herbert kind of had to earn his stripes and prove it. So he's, I think he's got a little chip on his shoulder. And I, I think that's why I would take him. He's proven that he can do it. And yeah, he's, he's not just expected to be, you know, great. I think for me, I, the, the upside just is like more exciting with Trevor Lawrence. And so like, if I'm, if I'm a team who can choose their kind of future uh, at the quarterback position, I'd probably go with the upside, the more exciting person, which it would be Trevor Lawrence. So sell more tickets, baby. It's a, it's a numbers game. Revenue league. Yeah. All right. So what the wild have been in COVID protocol this week, Vikes other than Jefferson, pretty quiet week. The wolves really roller coaster of a week. Absolute joke of a loss in San Antonio where they blew out a 16 point lead in the fourth, then snuck one out at OKC and then almost had a crazy comeback second night of a back to back with OKC, but ended up losing that one. Ike, what's your take on the pups? The Spurs, the Spurs game, um, that those just like they deeply hurt. You know, your like, you know, the team is bad. I'm going to watch every game and you know, they're going to win somewhere between 15 and 20 games. But to see a team lose like that is so disheartening. It really does. It's painful. My roommate was watching me watch the game and he saw that we were up by 18 in the fourth quarter. And he said, quote, wouldn't it be really funny if, if the Wolves lost, if they blew this lead in the fourth quarter, an 18 point lead. And I was like, no, I don't think that'd be that funny. And guess what? It wasn't, it wasn't very funny. It was actually really (laughs) sad. And then you get into that, like, pity party where you just go on Twitter and you just see everybody talking about the game and you just get like in this emotional ball of like sad. You're just stewing on it. You wallow in it. Yeah. You just have to sit in it for a while. I got to say one thing about the wolves here. Dalt, your mailman D-Lo delivered in the first game of the OKC series though. When it mattered, he got the one done. So He's, out, he's good for the rest of the year now, so don't expect anything else. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, you had to sit out the second game. That was the uh, epitome of you sent a package on like a Monday morning, and Christmas Eve is like Thursday, and you didn't think it was going to make it. But lo and behold, D'Lo dropped off that <laughs> present for your grandson right on time. <laughs> oh, that felt good. That was so fun. Another another positive spin on the week, uh, Jaden McDaniels has pretty much emerged as a key piece for the Wolves the rest of the year. So shout out to me and my early season take five in predicting this. Yep. <laughs> but I mean, he, he had played well in like small spurts, but now, I mean, he's basically like a sixth man. He's playing 20 some minutes. He's not always scoring, but he's making huge impacts when he's on the court. Yeah, a little tidbit. Uh as we're starting to learn, this is really just about us boosting our own egos by getting one of five picks, right? As I did last week and as Dalt did this week, and then just like pumping our tires, but ignoring everything else we said, because that doesn't matter. Irrelevant. Still a lot of time left for the rest of it to be right. <laughs> Jaden McDaniels is emerging as that guy where you're like, he is a dude who will be on like a championship team. Oh! just the way that he plays and the impact that he makes it seems like every team that wins a championship needs a guy like Jaden mcdaniels and especially right now and like today's like the way he can guard every single guy on the floor is so fun like i love watching him get switched onto point guards and absolutely locking him up his footwork is so great his arms just stretch for days like there's no way to get around him it's it's really fun to watch him play um i was just looking at some of the stats too because it, it's hard to see like qualify his value based on the box score just because uh, he doesn't score a ton and he hasn't gotten a huge amount of minutes yet but in his per per 36 just from the power forward position and he doesn't get a ton of touches offensively but he's averaging two assists two blocks a steal and seven rebounds a game per 36 so I mean he's making an impact uh, and then he's like one of the leaders in like a hustle stat about like loose balls so you love to see that too just a guy who's willing to grind. And then he shoots 33% from three. Um, and that number is probably going to go up a little bit just as he gets more comfortable in the offense and like keeps finding open looks. But I- I'm, I'm super excited. I think this has been the most exciting part of the season so far. Yeah, I feel like one thing that I think that looking at the stats that I saw is like I kind of like that he 
he just kind of does his role. Like, there's only been, I think, one game where he shot over 10 times. So, like, he's kind of, like, knows his role and then exceeds in it. Like, it reminds me of when people used to talk about Andre Karolinko being good. He, like, just fills the stat sheet. Like, he'll grab a couple boards. He'll get some rebounds. He'll block a couple shots, get a steal. I love to see – I think this is probably Lou's favorite stat. He gets – you know, he'll get three, four, five fouls in games. That's fun to see him grinding down low. Love that. Keep it up. But I think, yeah, he just – it does he does a lot of the little things which like you were saying that's what a championship team needs is guys to come off the bench and do do the little things do the things that aren't always what is popping off on the uh, ESPN ticker for points and rebounds and stuff just get a couple here a couple here do your thing and I'm not saying the Wolves are a championship team yet oh <laughs> people forget Jaden McDaniels he was at one point the number one recruit in his high school class and if you look back at some of the old mock drafts uh for the 2020 draft like mock drafts back in 2017 he was projected to be the number one pick in the 2020 draft so i mean he had an up and down senior high school season and then he played on a pretty talent poor washington squad for his one year in college so he took a lot of bad shots had some bad turnovers so he fell the wolves got him at 28 but I mean, there was a time where he was like the premier talent in his class. So it's not a complete surprise that he's he's exceed he's succeeding. And the, it was reported that the Wolves had him at like 15, 18, somewhere in that range on their big board. So to get him at 28, they were pretty pumped. So this is a podcast started for the uh, overlooked markets in sports. And I saw a take this week about like just the fact that he went to Washington, regardless of his stats, somebody was like, just the fact that he went to Washington was enough to drop him down the big board considerably from where the Wolves had him even to like almost into the second round. And I'm like, is that really true? Can that really be true that a guy who went to a power five conference school could be so overlooked that you almost essentially forget about him? This is a Pac-12. Well, power five, go to Quack. And I understand Washington's a scrubby school, always will be. Again, go Ducks. Quack. Like, does it just mean scouts are super lazy? Like, do they just only watch like East Coast games at that air at seven o'clock on the East Coast? And then they go to bed by like 930. They're not staying up to watch Bill Walton talk about the Conference of Champions. It might be a personal vendetta against Bill Walton. We're like, I'm not watching games. This guy is uh, commentating on. But it is it is funny to think about a scout, like maybe on the East Coast or whatever. And they're just like, hey. That's too late. I'm hitting the hay. Got a big day tomorrow. I don't have time. I'll catch a couple of clips. And then you never see, like, I feel like you don't see those mid, those mid random teams, kind of like Washington, where they're super average. You don't see them on ESPN. And I like to picture scouts doing the same thing we do, where you wake up, you see stuff on ESPN, and that's like the only sports that took place yesterday. Like, you just don't really realize anything else happened. So last week, we talked about the twins signing Andrelton Simmons, and then... They, what, doubled down on that this week. They signed Nelson Cruz. They added Alex Colome, the reliever. Um, then a couple minor moves. They traded Lamont Wade to the Giants for a relief pitcher, and then they claimed a, a pitcher from the White Sox on waivers. Mostly Nelson Cruz is coming back, and Alex Colome. Connor, how do we feel about those signings? You know, I'm excited. I think Colome is actually a great sign. Last year was obviously a small sample size, but he had a sweet season. Uh, like a sub one ERA, I'm pretty sure. Only like 22 innings, but like he seems to get the job done. It's nice that they got a decent arm on the back end with, you know, Duffy and Rogers where they can kind of share the, the, the not late, but critical inning role. Like I think that's big thing for, uh, for the old skipper ball Dalai Lama um, is, is just like the critical innings. That's when he wants to play the good people. So or the good relievers. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. Nelson being back, sweet. Like, I'm still nervous. Like, every year, it's just a skeptical thing where it's like the guy is just one year older. But he keeps producing, so, like, why not? Why not bring him back and just, like, let's run it back and use every ounce of talent he's got. But it's always, like, nervous. Like, is this the year when he officially is going to drop off? Um, but, yeah, I'm excited for it. It'll be, it'll be fun. I think the Twins are heading in the right direction again. Took a little longer than maybe some people wanted, but it seems like they got some decent guys. In the spirit of this podcast where we like to prop ourselves up, I'd just like to say that I last week I said definitively the, the Twins will be signing Cruz, re-signing Sources. Cruz this week. So 
Um, it was a disappointing that I didn't get credited for, for that, breaking it. for breaking that news uh, on all the tweets and presses, but you know, we'll get over it. But I, I just want to know, I want everybody to know I called it. I think getting Cruz on a one-year deal was huge. Like you're saying, Connor, because all along it's been like Cruz wants a two-year deal. Twins only want to give him one-year deal. And there was this divide and that was why it was basically a staring contest, but you've got to give the twins front office credit. Like they're willing to just wait out the market and see what's going to happen. Like who signs where, and they're just like, we'll wait. There aren't that many teams that can have a DH and there aren't that many teams who need one. So there are only, you know, three or four teams that they're really competing against once the DH, you know, didn't come through in the, in the NL for the season. So they just sat around and like, here's your one-year deal, sign it when you want. And eventually Cruz came to the table. So that's huge for the, the lineup. I hope he can stay healthy. And I think the fact that they have some depth this year, like, Arise technically doesn't have a spot. Um, they have Rooker and Kirilov, who are both big bats. They can give Cruz a couple days off, you know, here and there to keep him fresher. He doesn't need to play 150 games. And it's not going to be a massive drop-off. Like, yeah, you're not going to reproduce his numbers from the past season with guys like Rooker and Kirilov, but they're still going to be productive bats in the lineup. So I think that's, that's huge for a successful team. Yeah, I 100% agree. I'm happy to see Cruz coming back. Um, it seems like he's just got, he just knows what he's doing, right? He's And he also, what I'm actually really excited for is his that veteran presence coming back. Um, I think that plays a big role in in the locker room and the dugout. You know, he got those robes for everybody last year, I think. And so, you know, he, I think he just keeps it light. He knows he's obviously we've seen some some uptick in the um, in the Bomba squad and, and in the offense. And I think a lot of that has has to do with some of the wisdom he's bringing. So very happy to see uh, see Nelson Cruz back with the Twins. How do we feel about Colome? Should we do some some bullpen talk? Bullpen talk. I'm uh, I'll keep rolling here if that's all right. But uh, I um. I like the signing a lot. Connor mentioned it. Um, he had a 0.81 ERA in 2020. Um, you know, it was a shortened season, but, um, and then he, I think he was 30 of 33 in, in save opportunities in 2019 as well. Um, 43 saves in 83 games is, is pretty good. And the big thing that I really like about him is uh, he's third in saves in the MLB since 2016. So that's, that's pretty, he's up there with, uh, I think Kenley Jansen is the, the leader currently, but um, being up there with him is, is, an, is nice to see that he's kind of mentioned in the same, same light as Kenley Jansen. Well, it's impressive because he doesn't play on the Dodgers who win right. 140 games a year. Like the White Sox, they were good last year, but you know, he was on the White Sox and I think the Rays three years ago and the Rays weren't elite at that time. So, you know, that's just making the most of the, the opportunities. If you look at his splits, it's interesting because he's a righty, but he's way more effective against lefties. Like last year, lefties hit 098 off him. And over the last three seasons, he's got the third lowest uh, opponent batting average um, when lefty hitters are facing him. And one of the two that have a lower opponent average his Taylor Rogers. So lefties beware late in games, but it'll be interesting because I mean, he's a righty, so he's going to be effective against righties, but he's sort of matchup proof. Um, and then you have Rogers coming from the left and Duffy from the right. They're going to have three pretty dominant arms to go to late in games. So that's got to make the pitching coaches pretty excited. If your starter goes or six, how do you do seven, eight, nine? What's your order? To me, I would have. I think I'd have Colome pitching the ninth, and then seventh, eighth would be matchup based. If they have lefties coming up in the seventh, I would roll Rogers out. Um, otherwise, Duffy to Rogers back to Colome. But I mean, I don't think you can really go wrong. Like Duffy's been one of the best relievers in the game for the past two and a half seasons, and you know Rogers was elite two years ago. Last year, his ERA wasn't good, but his underlying numbers, like some of the advanced metrics, were pretty solid. And then. Like we're talking Colomade, he's been really good too. I'm uh, I'm glad you didn't have Robles in in your little back end. There. I was just uh, about to say I'm gonna go uh, Alcala for the seventh, Thielbar for the eighth, and Robles for the ninth. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you guys in uh, in October. Yeah, I mean, he worries me, man. I mean, he's obviously his ERA is is ten point two six last year. That over only eighteen games is just that's atrocious. And another thing, big thing of concern for me has his fastball has dipped from 
low 97s, basically 97 to 95. And now 95 isn't isn't hard anymore for a, a back-end bullpen guy. It's really not it, – it seems like everyone can throw 95-plus now, if not upper 90s. So, I'm uh, yeah, I'm not too too happy that there's some talk of him being in the kind of the back-end bullpen. Yeah, I agree. A lot of the beat writers seem to be thinking he's going to have this huge bounce back year. But when you look at his numbers, like he was really good in 2019, but his walk rate in 2019 was way lower than any other season of his career. It's tough to say if that was an outlier or maybe he figured something out and they can try to tap into that again. But I yeah, I don't feel okay if they're actually relying on him to get important outs if they're going to plan on being a good team. <laughs> I think the twin strategy is similar to um, like a shortstop in little league baseball in the middle of a tough inning where pitchers not throwing strikes. Uh, and he goes, Hey, come on now throw strikes. It's that easy. Yeah. That's their strategy. It, it never fails. And the pitcher just turns around. Thanks. Appreciate that. That's how. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can do that. Uh, one thing I did see on Colme was his, uh, his like strikeout per nine is last year was like down to like six, Point four, I think anybody concerned at all about that? Like, I feel like the twins are kind of trying to be like this punch out team where like Taylor Rogers has, uh, I think like almost a 10, 10 strikeouts over nine. And I think Duffy's is pretty decent too. Is any concern with him, like not being able to punch dudes out or we're fine with it. I think um, honestly, adding Simmons will, will be a big help there. Um, just a really solid shortstop would can just eat everything up because like we talked about last week polanco is really really 50 50 out there sometimes so um i do think yeah with our better defense that'll that'll be a bit a big help and last year was abnormal like he's a career you know 8.2 strikeouts per nine so 6.4 was one of the lower years of his career but i just saw that and i was kind of like oh that seems a bit alarming when you know, sometimes you're bringing in high leverage situation and you pretty much need a punch out to get out of there. And he doesn't feel like the guy to do that. So maybe that's where they use Taylor Roger or Tyler Duffy a little bit more. And he's more of a, let me come in with a clean slate and knock, knock him out. So. Yeah. He has a low strikeout rate, but his barrel rates also really low. It's like in like the 97th percentile. So he mixes the fastball and the cutter and is able to just miss barrels, even if he's not completely missing bats. So I think that's a really good point is maybe he's more effective when he's coming in with a clean slate. I don't know the numbers of, you know, like inherited runners scored and things like that, but if he's more of a contact pitcher, then yeah, they should probably, probably go that route. Analytics, baby. All right. It's time for another new segment. What, what, what? The mini market way. This one. Viking segment, we're calling it Sign, Trade, Release. Kind of like F, Mary Kill, but better. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go... We're each going to give one player we think the Vikes should sign this offseason, one player that, think, that we think the Vikes should trade away or trade for, and one player that we think the Vikes should release. So Sign, Trade, Release. Lou, you start us off. All right, Um I am going offense here for signing uh, left tackle Russell Okung is uh, a free agent coming from um, the Carolina Panthers, I believe. Uh, he would be expensive. He made about $12 million last year, but he's, uh, he's an 11-year vet. Um, he's just been one of the top tackles, top linemen in the game uh, pretty much his entire career. And offensive, I guess the line has really been an issue for us year in and year out. I know we draft a lot of linemen and it feels like it's always the same. You know, we don't have enough time for, for Kirk or whoever the quarterback is. So I think signing a lineman is a, is a really good, really good free agent signing for us. And the other thing that I really like about this guy is he got, he got the Panthers to pay half of his salary in Bitcoin last year. He just said, pay me in Bitcoin. And so they gave him half of his salary in Bitcoin. And I just think that is hilarious. A man of the future. That's super awesome. Because now he'll probably maybe take a pay cut because he made a buttload of money this past year on Bitcoin. It's above 30K. Yeah, it's been a good year. Yeah. The Vikes should pay him in Dogecoin. That's how you make the big bucks, <laughs> bang, baby. Bang. I. I'm not, I think in the interest of transparency, I have to disclose my uh, position in Doge. I have $10 invested. So 
Check it. See me on the moon soon. Watch out. We'd also like to say that that we are at no part or we are in no part uh, financial advisors. So please don't take this as a consultation. So Lou, what other moves are they going to have to make to clear up the cap space to get Russell the Bitcoin Okung? All right. So yeah, obviously Okung making 12 or 13 million a year is, is going to need some um, need some clearing of the cap space, which the Vikings desperately need to do. I think the Vikings should trade away Kyle Rudolph. Uh, he is the fifth highest uh, cap hit on our team currently, and his salary is only uh, getting higher each year through the next few seasons. Um, he's still good. He's still a good, solid player, um, which I think that means we could dump his contract and we could probably get something in return for him rather than just cutting him. Who's going to find himself on the naughty list trying to get rid of Rudolph? The last kids that did that, uh, they weren't playing any more reindeer day games there, Louis. Uh-oh. Um, you made your bed, though. <laughs> Dumping his uh, his contract would save us um, roughly twenty two million over the next two seasons in uh, in cap space, um, and I do really really like the uh, the combo of Tyler Conklin and Irv Smith Jr. Um, coming up the ranks. Both of them actually their combined contracts are less than Kyle Rudolph's base salary this year, um, and like I said, his salary is only going up. So if we really want to clear some cap space to make some moves. Uh, I think Rudy's the first one that's got to go. Bye. And who are we releasing? Uh, releasing, um, not quite as flashy, but I think uh, we move away from Shamar Stefan on the defensive line. Uh, he's got one year left on his contract. It is, uh, it's not guaranteed anymore. And he is also the eighth highest on the, on, uh, or in terms of cap hit for the team. Um, so that would save us just under another 4 million in cap. Um to replace him, I do really like Jaleel Johnson as well. His stats have been getting better each year. Um, he's younger than Stefan, and um, we would have to re-sign him, I believe, after the 2021 season. But he is, he's an up-and-comer that uh, I am excited to watch in the coming years. Very comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Sign, trade, release. Boom. All right, I'll go next. So for mine, I th- said they should re-sign Eric Wilson. Currently a free agent. Love it. Made a lot of big plays last season. He's a guy who knows the system. Linebacker, bring him back. Projected like 9 to $10 million. If they could get him back for 9 or 10 I think that would be a great deal. Um, as long as you know there aren't any other teams that throw something crazy at him because what he had like three picks last year, which I think led all linebackers on the NFL. But I think he'd be a great addition. Um, then quickly, trade. I think – blockbuster trade here. here we go I think baby they pick up Watch out. cornerback stefan gilmore from the patriots your 2019 nfl defensive player of the year he's a 15 million dollar cap hit he only has one season left on his contract but here's the thing the vikings have kept around mike zimmer and rick spielman so they think that this coaching staff and this roster can make a deep playoff run otherwise i think this season would have been a great time to just move on blow it up but i think there's been a collective decision that this team they think they can make a run so what do you do you deal daniel hunter mm-hmm. for stefan gilmore and a second round pick daniel hunter big question mark right now with his neck mm-hmm. unquestionably an elite talent mm-hmm. but he's gonna be wanting big money that the vikings do not have so I think if you can get an elite cornerback and a second, maybe maybe in a first-round draft pick, who knows, but a high draft pick and an elite cornerback for Daniil, I think that keeps the defense on par with what it would be if we still had Daniil. But then we don't have to worry about any contract issues. So we'll swippy-swap there, <laughs> and then we're good to go. <laughs> a little swippity-swap. So swippity-swap. swap <laughs> And then for release, I mean, at that point, so... Gilmore's like a $15 million cap hit. Daniil's $17 million, so that's pretty even. But then if you're going to sign Wilson for like 9 to 10, the Vikes are pretty much already at the limit, so they'd need to free up some cap space. I think Rudolph's a prime candidate to release. That's a lot of money off the books. Yeah, I can go next. Uh, love the list, Dalt. Big fan of the Wilson and getting rid of potentially Barr. But moving in, so my sign is Austin Blythe. Um, he has been, uh, a guard and a center for the Rams the last couple of years. Sexy. I was just going to say flashy move going right off the bat. <laughs> What's sexier than offensive lineman, right? 
Uh, one thing I love about him is he's played in like pretty much every game the last three, the last four years he's, he's played in or started. And uh, he'd probably cost around like $4 million, which would be pretty reasonable to bring in for like a solid inter- interior core. I think we, we had some issues last year with the in- interior of our offensive line. And another thing is, that is great is he has only been penalized like four times in his five-year career. So I like that. I like the idea of not uh, not putting the offense in reverse. Beep, beep, beep. So that's always good. Um, so that's going to help bolster the uh, interior of the offense line. My trade might ruffle some feathers. Um, my trade is Delvin Cook. What? Whoa. Now, hear me out, people. Hear me out. I don't think it's been any secret to friends and family that I'm not a huge running backs guy. Um I think they're pretty replaceable, but Delvin Cook's value has never been higher, right? He just came off an awesome year. I think we could get a decent value from him. Um, Cook's got $5 million contract, so to free up a little room there would be great. He's like the ninth highest payer or paid player on the team. Um, I mean, for me, the the running game is, is an important part, and everybody knows Zimmer. I mean, if anybody's rock solid, it's Zimmer when we're running the ball down people's throats. <laughs> And um, and so I think the key there is to bolster the offensive line. And and I think by getting rid of Delvin Cook, then we'll have some ability to get creative in the draft, signing, trading to really beef up that offensive line. And then, you know, Kirk's better when we're running, doing play action, all that. I think it just works when we can get a solid front. You know what they say? You got to protect the quarterback and you got to get after the quarterback. So this is a move to uh, to help protect the quarterback ultimately for me. Finally. The complete opposite opinion now. Uh, get rid of Riley Reef. <laughs> uh, but the reason being, Riley Reef's been very serviceable. He's been solid. But he's like the third highest cap hit. His dead cap hit is only $2.2 million, and he's overall getting about $16 million this next season. So that would free up a ton of space for us. I think that we can do a little shuffling on the offense. So I think Brian O'Neill and Ezra Cleveland, who Ezra Cleveland was just an absolute beast last year at guard. He was really solid, arguably one of the best offensive linemen on the team. I think he could play one of the tackles and Brian O'Neill. He's had a pretty awesome rookie season last year. He was still pretty solid. So those two on the edges, then we bring in Austin Blythe with my sign. So we got one guard, we got Bradbury. And then I think we draft, you know, maybe a second or third rounder to get the other guard. And we have a, what I hope to be a pretty solid offensive line. And we freed up, you know, 14 million in cap space when it's all said and done. So I think for me, it's all about really, I went offense as well, Lucas, and it's really about building from the interior. I like the weapons we got. I think the draft we're going to really want to use on defense. Like I think we obviously saw there was some exposure there. So, you know, use, get a guard in the draft and um, maybe sign some depth offensive lineman in, you know, just some random guy, basically you or I, to, uh, to fill the bench role, be the seventh man. And then Dakota Dozier. I don't really trust him, but he'll be also be a backup. So I like that. And there we go. Super Bowl 2022. Here we come. School. I like your sign or your trade and your cut because they're both the epitome of sports as a business because they're heartless moves. Like Dalvin Cook having the best year, trade him. That's uh, that's ice cold. Sell high, like baby. Supposed to be your guy. Dodge right, coins. No, you know, it's a business. <laughs> yeah. And then um, the Riley Reef is also like I think even colder to cut Riley Reef after convincing him to take a pay cut last year. Like he literally took a pay cut to be on this team, and then you just cut him the next year. Like oh. And he's been so he's been our best offensive lineman since we signed yeah. him. It's it's very mean, and I I, I can respect that. <laughs> and I should say that like Riley Reef is going to be okay. They'll both land on their feet for sure. But it is it, it's it's gutting some pretty major roles, but some huge cap hits for us. Zaire finishes out. Yeah, mine are less um, well thought out. <laughs> uh, so my sign is Jameis Winston. I first and foremost am totally sick and tired of Kirk Cousins not having a serviceable backup in the NFL. Like I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of quarterback competition. I like when there's a little bit of uh, people pushing each other. When you got this thing going on back and forth, everybody gets better. So I think they need a decent backup. And I think Winston, as much as like this is an anti-Saints podcast and an anti-Payton podcast, Sean Payton podcast. A pure Sean Payton, <laughs> yeah. you scum. 
he's a he's like you know he's a decent coach right so you think that a year of Winston learning from Breeze one of the best of all time and Peyton a pretty good quarterbacks coach um would distill a little bit of wisdom into the young man and like he might be uh even more valuable than we even think so I I don't know it could be an interesting sign to have Jameis Winston and if your offense line isn't great why not have a big body back there that can handle a couple of blows make a few plays full of crab legs I'm ready to eat a dub. I don't know if you guys are. Um, my trade was actually similar to Dalton's. I think you got to move Daniil Hunter for all the reasons that he mentioned. I think he's gonna he's gonna be a headache very soon. Like he had, he is my favorite guy in the Vikings, and so this one hurts to say that I want to trade him. But the guy had one good year, doesn't play all of last year, and then is like rumored to be expecting a massive payday. Like that's just a guy who's his head's gotten a little too big. So I don't want to deal with that. Um, Daniil, I love you, but I think we got to trade a trade high, get something back for him. And I know it's going to hurt. Like if we do it in five years, it'll be like, he'll be one of the best edge rushers in the, in all of football. And it'll be this like, Oh, well, the Vikings used to have him. Like why, why isn't he still on it? It'll be like a David Ortiz type situation, but I'm willing to take that. And then cut this one is a little hypocritical, but I'm going to go with, you got to cut Dan Bailey. I think he's uh, flip flopper. Yeah. So I did write an article defending Dan Bailey early on. Um, and I still like the guy, but I think that he, it's like a mutual parting of ways between him and Zimmer. I think Zimmer's not a good kickers coach. So let's just let the guy live his life. He'll go somewhere else. He'll be exactly what he is, which is an above average kicker, very accurate, a guy you can rely on, but we'll, we'll save a, few, a, a little bit money there and, I don't know. Maybe we can draft another kicker. That's always fun. Let's go for a ride. Maybe Ruin someone yeah. else's life. I uh, I like those takes, Ike. Um, I'm big on the Jameis. His big playability is arguably unmatched in the NFL. He threw 33 touchdowns. 30 interceptions. In, <laughs> he did throw 30 interceptions. Zimmer will but hang also, himself if that happens. He also threw for I know, five. That's why it would be yards. so fun. And I think there is something to say about learning from Drew Brees and I hate to give Sean Payton credit. So I typically just give the credit to Drew Brees. Um, but Teddy Bridgewater did the same thing uh, last season or two seasons ago. And he did have improved numbers from his time with the Vikings in his, uh, his one season this year with, with Carolina. So I think there is something to be said there. Yeah. I know Lou is kind of in a way giving Sean Payton a little bit of credit there, but I would like to shoot one across the bow here. I don't know if anybody saw that this morning, uh, last evening, the saints are now in, uh, there's been some fallout with, they were breaking extra pro uh, protocol for COVID. So I think they're going to have, they might lose a draft pick or two and have some heavy fines coming. So couldn't happen to a better guy. Uh, congratulations, Sean Payton on being a terrible (laughs) leader. People are dying out here, Sean. People are dying. I didn't say he was a good guy. I said he might have a decent ability to develop a quarterback. Yeah, no, and I just want to make sure we got one across the bow for him. (laughs) Okay, so everyone's favorite segment back for a third time. Over-unders. We're doing some prop-style over-unders that are Minnesota sports-related. We'll give our takes whether we'd go over, under, and why. First one, little Gophers hoops action. Men's b-ball team started out hot. They were 11 and four. They've lost three straight, so they're now 11 and seven. They have nine games left. Gophers basketball win total over under is set at 16 and a half. So again, they're 11 and seven with nine games remaining. Isaiah, you want to start us out? Um, this was a tough one for me. I'm a big momentum guy, so I, th- I think I got to take the under here. Uh, just looking at their schedule, I think the Purdue and Illinois games are, at this point, they feel like locks for losses. So that's two of the games down. Um, and then you can always count on the Gophers. The rest of the schedule, like they should win out. If if they lose to Purdue and Illinois, they should go 7-2, and two, like considering the quality of talent that they have to play. Uh, but they just lost to Rutgers. They just, they've lost a couple of hard games. And I think that um, there's two two more tough losses in there. So that'll put them at five wins and they'll, they'll end at 16. Yeah. I kind of went the other way, but a similar reason where like, there's just, a, there's a decent amount of winnable games. Like you were saying, like they could blow a couple of those, 
But I think the, the Gophers, they have some really good players. There's no doubt about that. And it's really just about getting those good players to kind of click, play well at the same time. And, you know, they have a bunch of, I think six of the last nine games are against like bottom half Big Ten teams. So if they can go out there and kind of clean up, because they, they have had a brutal schedule. Like they hit a hard stretch in the middle of the year where they played, I think, eight ranked opponents in a row. So, and, and they did kind of battle up and down, but this is the time of the year when even coming into the year, they knew this is when you kind of have to like make hay is when the sun shines at the end of the year. So I think that, uh, I think they're going to end up getting about 17 wins and just, just sneaking over that. I, I agree with Isaiah that the Purdue and Illinois are going to be really tough to win. You did mention, we just lost a tough one to Rutgers and a couple weeks ago at the end of January, they really took one on the chin against Maryland. So I think that they're going to try and um, really bounce back against those, those teams. And uh, I think just like Connor said, I think they're going to just sneak over the 16 and a half. Is there any coach in Minnesota history that consistently keeps themselves on the hot seat more than Richard Pitino? Like as soon as you think you're like, Oh, he's out the door, then boom, they'll win like four straight games, like three against ranked opponents. You're like, let's go. The Gophers are on their way. And then all of a sudden now they've lost three straight to Maryland, Purdue and Rutgers who, you know, none of those teams are particularly good and they got absolutely bodied by Purdue. I think they're on a slide, but Richie, he knows how to turn the Richie. guys around just enough to save his job. So I'm taking the over. I think Richard Pitino approaches coaching like a lot of people talk about approaching their career where you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable and he has embraced that. He loves the hot seat. Got to stay warm in Minnesota somehow, boys, True. you know? Negative 26. <laughs> All right, it's Super Bowl Sunday. So here is a championship over under. So the years until the next major championship for a Minnesota sports team, the over under is set at nine and a half. Do you think major four sports, Minnesota gets a title within the next 10 years? Connor, lead us off. Well, fans, you'll be happy to know they will. It's going to be the under, baby. In, uh, in the next nine years, there will be a championship in Minnesota. You might be thinking, which team? Well, folks, I got it for you. The 2025-2026 Minnesota Wild bring home Lord Stanley Cup. We're bulking up. We're getting loaded. We're doing everything the right way. Kirill Kaprasov, MVP that season. It's going to be crazy. Hopefully he signs later. Uh. But yeah, the Wild, they will be a Stanley Cup champion in the next five to six years. And I'd like to be the first one to congratulate them on their Stanley Cup championship. Notice that you said Major Four. I had the Lynx as a for sure lock. Uh, they had some really <laughs> good signings this offseason. They had a three-time All-Star, Kayla McBride. Um, that's going to be a big add for a, a perennial contender. Uh, but if we're sticking to the, Hansen, you that's call it, for the you. four major sports... Um, I, I, I got to go over. I'm getting really pessimistic Boom. about the Wolves are making me nervous. I know Cat, he's probably going to be gone in the next five years, and then it's like, are we starting over again? So they're out the window. Uh, the Twins are good, but they're like, their timing is tough because the Dodgers are insanely good. So it's, it's hard to think that like in this closing window, are we going to be able to best a team like the Dodgers who uh, just keep adding weapons? Um, uh, the Vikings are on the verge of being a total mess, and it takes a while to get that going again. Uh, so, yeah, maybe my only hope is wild, and I hope you're right, Connor, but I think I'm taking the over. And the sad thing about that is I'll be 35. Uh, Cohen, I'm 36 if they, if they pull it. And, then, you know, life changes a lot at that point. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to celebrate quite as hard if they do. Going to have to save up the PTO now. Kind of scary. That's one of those, like, uh, that'll keep you up at night type thoughts. All righty. I am going the opposite. I am going to be an optimist here. As a Minnesota sports fan, you just, you live and die on the little flicker of hope that each team gives you each season. So I am taking the under and I think that the twins actually have the best shot uh, with the wild close behind. Um, I like some of the moves the twins are starting to make. I think they're starting to put some things together. That's my take. That's what I'm going with. Under. We're going to win, Twins. We're going to score. 
So I, I approach this as if I were making a financial bet. And, you know, you got to hedge Analytics. your bets. And it's... <laughs> but when you hedge, it can't always be about the money. It's got to be about emotions too. So I think I would take the over as an emotional hedge. Because if I bet the over and, it, and then the over hit, at least I've got some money out of it. And if the under hits and I lose some money, I've got a championship. Who cares? So I'm taking the over just to protect myself. The bet with the head versus the bet with the heart. All right, next up, we've got a wild one. Kevin Fiala goals on the season. Over under is set at 15 and a half. Sweet Lou, lead us off. Yeah, uh, I'm going under on this one. He's he's only scored more than 15 twice in his career, and um, once was actually last season. Um, but especially with the shortened season this year, I just uh, I don't see it happening. I'm going to take the over on this one. Uh, He's got three goals through eight games. I think that, and it happened last year, so maybe it's just a recency bias, but I think there's going to be a stretch where he kind of gets hot and maybe scores like, you know, four goals in five games or something like that. And that kind of just propels you up and gives you a shot at that. So, I mean, the suspension certainly doesn't help in a shortened season, um, but I think he's going to come back pretty hungry from this little three-game suspension and be ready to roll. Yeah, so I, uh, since this is an analytics podcast, I did a little quick mental math on Kevin Fiala to get to this over-under. His career shooting percentage is 10.7, and that's over 295 games uh, in the NHL. So it's statistically significant. Dalton, you know that that N is good. Uh, He's he's at 10%. His shooting percentage is 10 this year. And over the life of his career, he's had average 2.35 shots per game. This year, he has 3.75 shots per game, so a considerable jump up. Uh, it, so there's 48 games left in the season, um, and I took like a, a conservative average of shots per game at three. So that's somewhere between the middle of his career average of 2.5 and his current 3.75. He's trying to be a volume shooter, which I have a ton of respect for. Analytics podcast, if you don't like it, get out. Uh, so that's that's going to account to, if it's three shots a game over 48 games, it's 144 shots. And then if we take his career shooting percentage of 10.7% multiplied by 144 shots for the rest of the season, that right there is 15.4 goals. And he's already got three. So I've got a lot of leeway. Pound that over. Pound it. Let's there go. it is. Someone's trying to impress Dalton. Here the numbers. Today. Yeah. Dalton, put your shirt back on. <laughs> I'm hot and bothered, baby. Sample sizes, <laughs> shooting percentages. I'm taking the over. Let's Dalton go. said scrap whatever I was going to say. We're going with the <laughs> over. The numbers never lie. The end. <laughs> All right. I've, I've lost my focus now. Jeez. I... <laughs> Sorry, baby. <laughs> All right. Last one. How many Bombas does Cruz hit this year? Over under set at 32 and a half. I'm going to leave this one off. So most of the projection systems. All your own number. Somebody has to. (laughs) Most of the projection systems have them at like 32 to 34. So this is right around, um, you know, what the experts would say, which is, you know, what a good over under is set at. Um, But I think I'm going to have to take the under because I think. Like I said earlier, they're going to give him more off days to keep him well rested. It's not necessarily going to be a bad thing for his production per at-bat, but I think he's just going to get fewer at-bats this year. He's going to be a key cog in the lineup, but we've got more depth this season than we did last season, so I'm taking the under. Yeah, I'll hop in. I'm going to take the under as well. Um, I just I kind of mentioned it before where I think at some point he's going to have one of these letdown seasons just being older, and I think he might play in – maybe less games than we anticipate. Um, and so I'm going to take the under. All right. I'm going over here. Somebody's We're back, it. baby. My guy. He has hit over 32, or excuse me, over 32 and a half in the last six full seasons. And uh, that's not including last year, um, which he did hit 16 and was on pace for 43. Had it been a full wolf, full, uh, yeah, full season. So, you know, yeah, he's old, but this is a guy who's proven he knows what he needs to do to be in shape. He knows what he needs to do to be ready to hit. He takes his naps before the game or whatever they say he does. <laughs> whatever it is, that man can hit a baseball a long way, and he's going to do it at least 33 times this season. Lou, you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, there was nothing that I would say differently. Absolute over. Love Nelly back in the lineup. Why, don't, why doesn't anyone ever talk about his steroids? 
What? Do we just hey cut, we just delete this part. Hey, cut this part? Cut this part. <laughs> yeah, no. It's just because he's a nice guy. That's what yeah, I, I think it is. But anyway. I did see it. I think. I... Is it the same thing as Ken Griffey Jr.? Nice guy. Hey, Want to like not him? Not now. Okay. No, I did see a tweet oh, this okay, week okay. that was, uh, there was something about, I, I love that people just forget the twins signed ex steroid guys with like Pineda and Nelson Cruz coming back. And they had a couple other ones on there. And I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. And like when they come to Minnesota, it's like, it's almost like we're so in, insignificant to the major markets. Like, you know, the, the big outlets, they don't even care. They're like, they, they never talk about, you know, Pineda cheating or, you know, uh, Cruz doing some stuff back in the day. But it's funny. It's like banking in Switzerland. Uh, don't ask, don't tell policy. A little bit of an overlook. And I'll just say this in defense of uh, Nelson. I think he's just barrel chested. I, I think that's just uh, naturally. He's big bone, barrel chested. That's how, just how he is. From one barrel chested guy to another. <laughs> <laughs> well, that does it. Episode six, the mini market podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. We're not going anywhere. Episode six, we're going to be here until we die. So buckle up, maybe a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand more episodes. And shout out to everyone who, uh, who's who been following us on social media, retweeting. We're looking forward to having a guest on next week. Going to be a surprise guest, so we're not going to announce it yet. Don't forget to rate us, leave us a review if you like the pod. If you don't, that's fine too. Reviews are good. Follow us on Twitter at Tell em Sports. Check us out, tellemsports.com. And we'll see you next week. Later. Thanks for stopping by. Peace. I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.